Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. Happy Father's Day to everyone. Where my dad's out out there, make some noise, dads. Yes. Such a great day to be in our Father's house this morning on Father's Day. So uh, if you've got your Bible or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament. Um, The Bible is divided up in these two large sections. The first big section of scriptures is the Old Testament. The second second section of scriptures is is called the New Testament. And um, the first four books of the New Testament is where we're going to be spending some time over the next several weeks. And those four books, we call them the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those books are good news is because they tell the story of Jesus, who he was, what he taught, how he lived, and what he did for us. And so today, and for the, the, few, the next few weeks to come, we're going to be spending some time in the Gospels looking at, but you can't guess, the miracles of Jesus. We're not trying to confuse anybody um, here this morning. So uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's four books into the New Testament. And we are going to land in John chapter 2 in just a moment, starting with uh, with verse 1. So John chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll get there in just a minute. So have you ever noticed Has anybody ever noticed that like life is pretty great, like right up until the point that it's not pretty great anymore? Has anybody had an experience like that? Like life is great right up until the point that it's just not anymore. Something happens, like things are going great at school right up until you fail the big exam, right? Things Things are going pretty well with the car right up until the check engine light comes on. You know, things are going pretty great at your job right up until the point your supervisor schedules a meeting with you and says, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. Things are going pretty well with your kids right up until they turn teenagers and decide they're going to hate you for the rest of their life and never listen to another word that you say. You know, right up until that happens, things were good. Things are going pretty well in your marriage right up till the point that your spouse says, They've decided they don't love you anymore. Things are going pretty well with your health right up until the doctor comes into the room and says, it doesn't look good. I'm afraid there's really not much we can do. Let's face it. Sometimes life throws us a curveball. Sometimes stuff happens that, that we aren't expecting and we're thrust into these situations that all of a sudden it's just on top of us and we got to figure out what to do. And, and, and when, when that sort of stuff happens, you and I can find ourselves in a place where simply put, we just need the Lord to do a miracle. Am I talking to anybody in the house this morning? Sometimes we just need the Lord to do a miracle. And today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Miracles of Jesus. And over the next few weeks of the summer, we're gonna be taking a look at some of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels in the New Testament with the hopes of uncovering some particular principles from these instances that you and I can apply to our own lives today because I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I could use 
a miracle. Amen. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Anybody could use a miracle in their life. You're going to have to talk to me today, okay? I'm, I'm going to need some feedback. You need to help me preach this series of messages, okay? So let's just get comfortable talking to one another. I've been the pastor for a while now. Most of you know me pretty well, okay? So let's, let's talk to one another a little bit. It'll help you stay engaged, and it'll help me preach better. So... All right, yeah, there we go. Somebody's like, finally, he's gonna start preaching better. <laughs> We've been waiting this whole time. <laughs> if I would have only known to shout amen, that would be the catalyst. I would have done it months ago. All right, John chapter two, starting with verse one. Let's jump in together. My Bible says, two days later, there was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his followers were also invited to the wedding. When all the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus answered, dear woman, why come to me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6. In that place, there were six stone water jars that the Jews used in their washing ceremony. Each jar held about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled the jars to the top. And then he said to them, now take some out and give it to the master of the feast. So they took the water to the master. Verse nine, when he tasted it, the water had become wine. He did not know where the wine came from, but the servants who had brought the water knew. The master of the wedding called the bridegroom and said to him, people always serve the best wine first. And later, after the guests have been drinking for a while, they serve the cheaper wine. But you have saved the best wine till now. So in Cana of Galilee, Jesus did his first miracle. And there he showed his glory and his followers believed in him. Now, I can't think of a better place for us to start a series on the miracles of Jesus than with Jesus' very first miracle that he ever performed. And I believe that the principles that we're going to learn today are not only going to be good for those of us that are hearing this message this morning, but they're going to set the tone for the remainder of this series in the weeks to come. And so we're here at at Cana, and, and the passage tells us that, the wet, that a wedding had taken place in Cana, which was northwest of Nazareth, not far from the Sea of Galilee. And the people, they had, they had traveled there for this wedding. And, and we're not told the particulars about who the bride and the groom are, but we are told that the mother of Jesus, in, in the book of John, um, she's never referred to directly as Mary. She's always referred to as the mother of Jesus, but we're told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in attendance. And it's, it's reasonable to assume that Mary, she would have either been related to or been in a, a, a close acquaintance of um, either one or both, the bride and the groom. And so she had gone to this wedding and along with her, Jesus had come. And, and, and so the, the, the bride and groom and, and who they are and, and whether or not they're of any relation to Mary and, and subsequently Jesus, like that's, that's really of no matter. It's of no consequence to us this morning. The important thing of note 
is that along with his mother, Jesus was also in attendance that day, which brings me to my first point that we're looking at. I'm gonna pull out five points from this passage this morning. So if you're taking notes, write these down, put these down. Point number one, whatever you're doing, be sure Jesus is in the middle of it. If you're looking for a miracle, if you need a miracle to happen in your life, then whatever you are doing, you need to be sure that Jesus is in the middle of it. And he was there at the wedding that day. I had the honor just a few weeks ago to officiate a wedding of a young couple that is here in our church And right at the top of the ceremony, the very first thing that we did once the bride and groom, everybody, the bridal party was in and everybody was up front and they were all smiling and in their dresses and their their suits and everything looking all good. And the very first thing we did right at the beginning of the ceremony is that we prayed and we invited the Lord to come and be the special honored guest at the ceremony that day. And, and this is how you and I, we should live our lives this way that, that whether it be the, uh, whether or not it's, it's the ex- extraordinary that we're experiencing or, or, or just the everyday, the, the mundane of life, whether extraordinary or everyday, you and I, we need to invite Jesus to be a part of whatever we have going on. We need to be sure that he is welcome into our lives. Jesus, you're, you're welcome to be with me in the car on my commute. Jesus, we, we invite you into our marriage. Be in the midst of us. Bind us together as husband and wife. Jesus, I invite you into my workplace and that you would help me to be a shining light in the dark places of this workplace for you. Jesus, we, we welcome you into our Bedrooms, or that you would watch over us and, and, and keep us safe and peaceful as we rest. Father, we welcome you into the midst of our finances and we pray that you would help us to, to, to put things in order and that, that you would help us to live lives that honor you with the way that we give and, and we spend our money, that you would help us to be people of, of generosity. God, we welcome you at our dinner table and as we gather together as a family, as we sit and we break bread with other people, Lord, that you would unite us together as believers in the body of Christ. God, we welcome you into the midst of our recreation activities. And during those times, Lord, that you would, you would refresh and recharge us so that we can do the work that you've called us to do. God, we welcome you into our living rooms and that you would be at the epicenter of our homes, at the very, the very core of our lives. We need to let Jesus know that every single hour of every single day that not only do we need him, but that he is welcome. Lord, you are invited to be a part of what we have going on. We cannot do this without you. So whatever we're doing, we need to be sure that Jesus is in the middle of it. In verse three, the story continues and we discover that the wedding reception has run out of wine. And now this is, this is likely an indication, not that the party was filled full of a bunch of drunkards that were just guzzling everything, but rather that the couple that was getting married was probably quite poor. And they had done the best that they could 
But they had just run out of wine and they found themselves, so they're trying to celebrate. Instead, they find themselves in a place of lack and wanting. See, the, the wedding was going well right up until the point that it wasn't, right? So, so Mary goes over to her son and she has this conversation with him because she knows that he is the son of God. She knows that he can fix the situation that has taken place. And, and I love what happens in verse five following the conversation that Mary has with Jesus. Verse five, Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. She's pointing at Jesus. She's telling them, Whatever he says, you need to do it. The second thing that we can learn, the second principle that we learn from this passage is not only do we need to be sure that Jesus is in the middle of whatever we have going on, but, but we need to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. And, and it's Father's Day today. And I can't think of any better parental advice than this right here. It, it doesn't matter what the question is, but when your kids come to you and ask you, hey, what should I do? How do I need to operate? How, how, how should I behave in this situation? What, what would you tell me? Moms, dads, parents, this is always the answer. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That was Mary's parental advice that morning. It's our parental advice today that whatever question our kids have for us, the answer is always do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But, but the real question for you and I, for those of us that are parents, for those of us that are, that are setting the example is, are we following our own advice this morning? See, this cannot be a situation, dads, where you, you fall into the trap of telling your kids, do as I say, not as I do. No, we, we've, got to, we've got to model this in front of our children. Our, our children need to see the way that we live our lives and that we live in accordance to this principle so that when we, when we bestow this advice on them, that it carries weight with them. When we say, you need to go and do whatever Jesus tells you to do, there should be a track record built up within our lives that they can say, well, I've seen mom and dad do what Jesus told them to do. And so then I can, I can step out in the faith and the trust knowing that that is the right way to go. So as the spiritual father of this house this morning, my, my advice to you is simply this, regardless of the situation you're facing, regardless of the struggle that you are currently experiencing, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do and it'll all be okay. Just do what he tells you to do. And here's what he told him to do. Verse six. In that place, there were six stone water jars that the Jews used in their washing ceremony. Each jar held about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled the jars to the top. Now, let's, let's talk about these stone jars for a minute. According to Jewish law and custom, there were a number of instances in everyday life that, that Jewish people could become what is known as ceremonially unclean. 
There would have been different things they would have experienced, different stuff that, that could have happened in the course of their everyday lives that would have made them ceremonially unclean. And this would have prevented them from participating in various activities or rituals until they had cleansed themselves. And sometimes it was as simple as just washing their hands, but, but other times it could have been that they had to wash their entire bodies in order to participate. And they would have to do this with the washing of water from a, from a unique and a specialized vessel, in this case, a stone jar. But now it's important to note and for us to remember that this couple that everyone had gathered at their home for this wedding and the, the feast that followed after the reception, that this couple was likely poor. And their stone jars probably wouldn't have been anything fancy. And in fact, they were probably a little bit beaten up and battered. There were some nicks and some mars on them. And, and they, were, they were likely pushed along to the side, out of sight of everyone that had gathered for the feast so that no attention would be brought to them. And not only that, but, but when Jesus discovers these six stone jars that are at the home of this couple that is getting married, when he finds them, he realizes that they are empty. See, it was one thing to have run out of wine, but now this couple is having to endure the even further embarrassment of having their lack, having the fact that they are so destitute and poor and that their, their ceremonial washing jars are, are empty, having those put on display in front of all the guests at the wedding that day. You know what? I, I came here this morning to talk to somebody whose situation in life has left them feeling a little beaten up and battered. There's some nicks and some mars and some scrapes and some bruises that you've experienced because of the hand that life has dealt you. I came to talk to somebody this morning who feels overlooked and, and pushed off to the side. I came this morning to talk to somebody who feels like they've been running on empty for the past little bit. I'm looking for somebody who's feeling like a little embarrassed that somebody else might find out about the situation that they are walking through in their life, that they're embarrassed about the struggle that they're currently facing. Can I just be honest with everybody today? Is that okay? It's just us, right? Like we're family, right? I can just be honest with you. This has been me. For the past few months, it's where I've been lately. It's the road that I've been walking. I felt a little beaten up, a little battered, a little bruised. I felt a little overlooked and pushed to the side like I've been running on empty and just can't seem to catch up. And, and as I was studying for today's message, the Lord spoke to me and said, Blake, you you need to pay close attention to what this verse is saying. Pay, pay close attention to what kind of jars those are. And, and as I did a little bit more study and a little bit more digging, I, I realized that these weren't just any old jar, but these jars were set aside for a special purpose. 
And that special purpose was to purify the people through the washing of the water. And Ephesians 5 says that that Jesus Christ will cleanse us through the washing of the water of his word. And now look what happens in verse 7. Jesus told the servants to, to fill the empty jars with water. And they filled them, what, halfway full? No, three quarters of the way full? No, it says they filled them all the way to the top, to the brim, to where they could not hold anymore. I feel like there's somebody in this house this morning that needs to hear the word of God today that would show that you may feel a little beaten up and bruised. You may feel like you've been overlooked and pushed to the side. You may feel like you're running on empty and don't have the strength to make it through what you're going through, but the Lord has seen you. He has not forgotten you. He has set you apart for a special purpose. He hasn't brought you to where you are to punish you. He has brought you to where you are to purify you this morning. And you are no longer going to be empty today, but by the command of the Lord most high, you are going to be filled all the way to the top, lacking nothing. That the Lord is getting ready to pour out something new in your life. And if you could just get a hold of this revelation that where you thought that that God had forgotten about you, where you thought that that you had been pushed to the side, that, that you were overlooked, that God is bringing you out in front of everyone. And he's saying, look at what I'm going to do. Fill them up and cleanse them and purify them. Because here's the thing. Jesus, he's not punishing us. He's preparing us to receive our miracle. It's the third point. Jesus is preparing us to receive our miracle. Sarah and I, we were in Southwest Florida down at a pastor's training for a few days this week. And I was in a room full of, it was probably 15 or 20 other pastors at the time. And we were receiving some specialized training for um, uh, something that we're going to be doing in, in leading some other pastors. And, and as a part of that, we were, we were praying with and for each other. We had this special time of, of prayer and there was just an incredible presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. And, and we were praying together and, and I was praying specifically for, for this church, praying for, specifically for, for, for you, and, and praying about some of the things that, that we've experienced over the past couple months, some of the things that we've walked through and that I've, that I've walked through as the leader of this place and that we've walked through as this body together in this season of transition that we've experienced. And I, I find myself in, in my prayers here lately and, and in my journaling and everything, I ask God, like, why? You know, why is this happening? And why is that happening? And why is this over here? Why is this like this? And, and why did they say this? And why did they do this? And, and all of these things. And, and, and I've just been asking God why, like ask, trying to make sense of it all. And I was doing some of the same thing that day. It was, it was, it was on Monday morning around, around 1130 AM this past week. And I was just praying about some of this stuff and, and trying to make sense of it all. And I heard the Lord clearly speak this verse into my spirit. Out of Mark chapter 2, verse 22. Mark chapter 2, verse 22 says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. So you need to know that God's allowing you to walk through some of the things that you're walking through and experience some of the stuff that that you're experiencing so that you can be prepared for what's next. He's brought you to this point so that he can renew you. So that you'll be able to receive what he's wanting to give you. The blessings that he's wanting to pour out in your life. God hasn't forgotten about you. God's not punishing you. He's preparing you to receive your miracle. And not only that, but number four, not only is he preparing us, but but Jesus has provided everything that we need for our miracle. He's not just preparing us to receive it. He's already provided it. Verse eight, Jesus says to the servants, now now take some of the water out. They had filled these jars to the top. Now take some of the water out and give it to the master of the feast. And so they took the water to the master. And when he tasted it, the water had become wine. He did not know where the wine had come from, but the servants who had brought the water knew. See, the, the servants that day, they didn't take wine to the master they took water. The miracle hadn't happened yet. They, they first had to act out in faith. And so God's given you everything that you need, but, but it's easy for us to look at it and say, God, I asked you for wine and you've given me water. And he's saying, just be faithful. Just be obedient. Like put yourself in the shoes of those servants that day. Like their reputations were on the line. They've said, we, we, can, we can fix this and, and, and we're being obedient to Jesus. And so, so go and take this water to the master of the feast. And the whole time they brought it to him in the cup that they brought, it, it was still water. But the Bible says that when he took a drink, that that water had become wine. See, to them, it was still water. What if we give this to the, to the master and it, it's, it's just water? Like, what, what's he gonna think? What's everybody gonna think? Like, we're gonna be the laughing stock. What if we, we step out in obedience and, and the Lord doesn't do what the Lord has said he was going to do? So they're taking this cup of water and they're like, we don't know what's going on, but we're just doing what Jesus said. We're listening to Mary. We're taking that parental advice. We're, we're doing what he said to do. See, it didn't make sense. Here's what I've come to find out. A lot of times, being faithful and obedient to God, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially to the world around us. Giving up a couple hours on your Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in or at the beach or on the golf course, it doesn't make sense to the world. Giving away 10% of your income to the local church and tithes and then over and above that in offerings, it doesn't make sense to the world around us. Spending time working on meeting the needs of other people instead of focusing on your own needs, it doesn't make sense to the world around us. Volunteering to change dirty diapers of children that are not biologically yours in the church nursery, it does not make sense 
to the world around us. But when you and I make a commitment to be faithful and obedient and to honor God with our lives, then he is able to transform not only our situation, but he is able to transform us. And the Bible says that when the master of the feast, when he tasted the water, it, had, it was no longer water, it had become wine. And, and I'm no science expert, but the chemical makeup of water and the chemical makeup of wine are two totally different things. A transformation had taken place that day. And the Bible says the master of the feast, that he had no idea where the wine had come from. All he saw was the fact that the wine had run out. He didn't know where it came from, but the servants, they knew. And when God moves in your life, the world around you isn't gonna be able to recognize it, but you are gonna know. You're gonna know that God Almighty has moved, that he has, that he has done something new, that a transformation has taken place because he has rewarded your faithfulness and your obedience. And God's going to use that to be a part of your testimony. And you're gonna be able to walk into the world and you're gonna be able to say, yes, I know that at first things looked pretty bleak. I was battered and I was bruised and I was overlooked and I was empty and all I had was just a little bit of water. But because I remained faithful and because I chose obedience, God brought forth new wine in my life. The teacher said, I wouldn't pass the class, but Jesus. He said, I wanted a divorce, but Jesus. The doctor came in and said, there is no hope, but Jesus. The bank said, insufficient funds, but Jesus. The landlord knocked on the door and said, eviction, but Jesus. The devil came and said, eternal damnation, but Jesus. It doesn't matter how the world looks at things. All we need is the name of Jesus. And when Jesus gets up into the mix of things, stuff begins to change. Things begin to transform. New life is born out of what Jesus gets into the middle of. Not only has he prepared us to receive, but he's provided everything that we need. And I love this last part. Watch this, this is so good. The master of the wedding called the bridegroom, verse 10, called the bridegroom and said to him, people always serve the best wine first. And later, after the guests have been drinking a while, they serve the cheaper wine. But you've saved the best wine until now. Number five, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. Because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. You think it's been good? It's gonna get even better. God's best is yet to come. Isaiah 43, 19 says, look at the new thing. 
I'm going to do. It's already happening. Don't you see it? I will make a road in the desert and rivers in the dry land. God hasn't brought you this far to leave you high and dry. He's already made a way where there seems to be no way. I've never seen a roadway in the desert. I've never seen a river in the middle of a dry land. But the word of the Lord says, that's what I'm bringing to somebody's life today. That's the miracle that I have in store for them, that the best is yet to come. And if you're here today and you need God to do a miracle in your life, you need some new wine poured out in your life, then then I want you to take a step. And in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you forward for some prayer. And by stepping out, you're saying, God, I'm believing for you to transform my life. And this morning, I want to be refreshed and renewed. God, create in me a a new wineskin so you can pour out new wine in my life. See, wine in the Bible, it represents joy. And and the Bible says in in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, it says that, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm believing that as people respond to the word of the Lord this morning and and as he pours out that new wine in you that that there's gonna be some people this morning that they're gonna be refreshed and renewed and filled full of the joy of the Lord and that joy is gonna transform into his strength so that you you can be able to face the situation that you are walking through in this current season. So I gotta know Is there somebody here that needs a miracle? Somebody here today that that would say, God, I'm ready for you to pour out new wine in my life. I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength this morning. If that's you, then as the band leads us in worship, I wanna invite you to come and just stand right down here, right down front. Don't wait. God, I need a miracle in my life. I need a miracle in my life. If that's you, I wanna invite you to come forward. I know you're here. You told me at the beginning of the message. Some of you raised your hand and said, I need a miracle. I need God to do something in my life. Don't wait. I want to invite you to come forward. I want to lay hands on you. Our prayer partners, we want to pray with you for God to do something in your life and pour out his new wine. Let's pray together. You're invited to come.
And just as a reminder, we're 100% debt free, by the way. So that's tithing, first step, first time giving, second step, percentage giving, third step, tithing, 10%, fourth step. Fourth step, yeah, that's right, this is when it gets crazy. Some of you are like, there's a fourth step? I thought we were done at tithe. No, see, what you don't understand is, is tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. There's a step beyond that. In Malachi 3, God doesn't talk about just the tithe. He says your tithe and offerings. And an offering is anything over and above the 10%. See, once we get into this position right here, it becomes very easy for us to realize God's blessings in our life. But we don't give to get. That's just a byproduct, just a byproduct of what happens. We don't give to get, it's just a byproduct of our giving. We give because God gave to us first. We talked about it already, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave, it's right there. Most famous verse of the Bible ever talks about God's faithful stewardship. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And the gift that you and I have been given, it's worth so much more than 10%. And those that have made it to this place in their lives have come to realize that, that the blessings of God are not in earthly possessions. We get up here and we, we get this close and we realize the blessings the whole time have been the opportunity to give and to be generous. That is the blessing that God wants us to experience. That's what the master was talking about when he told his servants, come and share my joy with me. That the more we have, it's not for us, it's for us to be a blessing for others. See, we haven't been created to be consumers of God's blessings. We've been created to be conduits to share God's blessings with the world around us. So this is generous or extravagant giving. And there's a process. I don't know where you're at in it. But these are the steps that you could take. Give for the first time. Begin to give a percentage regularly. Work your way up to 10% where you're regularly and consistently tithing 10% of the, the first 10% of your income, not the, not the back 10%, the first 10% of your income. And then some of you, you've been living there for a long time. It's time to do even more. God's wanting to stretch you. He's wanting you to become an extravagant giver. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Don't leave here today and go to lunch and talk about how all Pastor Blake and all Christ Walk does, they only want my money. That's the only reason they're interested in me. That's a lie from the devil. It's simply not true. Christ Walk Church is a church and I'm a pastor. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And if you'll honor these principles in your life, you will receive blessing that God's gonna open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life, you won't be able to contain it all. That is what I want for our people. And the enemy's trying to distract us and everything because he doesn't want you to hear the things that I'm saying. He doesn't want you to hear the truth that I'm proclaiming this morning. But you need to know that I'm not creating an expectation 
that you do something that I'm not doing. You need to know that only, not only do, do I teach about this stuff, but Sarah and I, we practice these principles. We live by them. This is how we conduct our life. And just because I'm sitting up here all high and mighty on top of my ladder, don't for one second, don't for one second think that I've never been in the place that you're in. Listen, I've been in that place before. I was even on staff at a church and I took the mindset and the approach that I could not afford to tithe, that we didn't have enough money. I took a poverty mindset. It was a broken mindset towards giving, but I had people around me who lovingly guided me and shepherded me and showed me the truth and the value of being obedient to God and his word so that I could step out from under the curse and walk in the full blessings of God in my life. And it's made all the difference. See, I grew up in a household too where these principles have been modeled for me. And my mom and dad are here this morning and this is just a happy accident. But I've seen firsthand the sacrifices that they've made over the years. And there's nobody that I know personally that practices this kind of faithful stewardship more than those two people right there. And they don't do it for a hand clap. They don't do it for accolades. They're probably gonna be mad at me that I even said anything about it. But they do it because they found that obedience to the Lord is where it's at. And it's made all the difference. Don't just take my word for it though. Go find a tither. Go find someone who lives this kind of lifestyle and ask them, do you regret it? Ask them if their needs have gone unmet. Ask them if God has proved faithful or not. Every single person that I know that lives a lifestyle like this will tell you that God's word is 100% true. And that you can, you can take it to the bank, pun intended. You can put your trust in it. He is not, he's not going to fail on the promises that he has proclaimed. That They will tell you that they are blessed beyond measure because of their willingness to walk in this kind of lifestyle. And so my question as we close out this morning, what can you do today to move towards faithful stewardship in your life? What step do you need to take today to move out from under the curse and into the full blessings that God has for you? Some of you, you need to give for the first time. Some of you, you need to become a percentage giver and start giving God a regular portion of your income as you work your way up to 10%. Some of you, you need to step up into the 10% and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fully obey God with my finances. And then others of you, you need to invest extravagantly and generously into the kingdom of God over and above that 10% and then sit back and watch what God is going to do in your life. Not because I said so, but because his word says so. And because he said we should put him to the test. And we'll get closer and closer to receiving his blessings only to realize that the blessing was the opportunity to give in the first place. That's faithful stewardship.
right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. I thank you that despite distractions, Lord, that the truth of your word has gone forth. God, as I've spent time preparing and praying for this message, Lord, I've prayed that this would not be generated by selfish ambition or impure motives. But God, that my heart would be seen. And that more importantly, that people would see your heart for them. And that they would come to walk in the fullness of the blessings that you have for them. God, I pray that you would help your people to step out in courage to make the sacrifice necessary, to climb the ladder of giving and generosity so that they can receive the fullness of your blessings in their life. And thank you also that up to this point, I haven't fallen off. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. I'm gonna climb down. Crystal's coming out to close out the service. Thank you guys so much for being here. I love you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.